Welcome to the You Thought Sports Podcast. I'm Jared, podcasting alongside Lucas, and we're doing another Formula One episode. It's been a while since we've done one. We had um, a race at Spa in Belgium, as well as the very, very exciting race at Monza in Italy, the Temple of Speed. Let's get into a little race review of Italy, um, as, as well as Spa, and we're going to take a little look ahead to what, what we expect from Tuscany. Um, Lucas, what were some of your big takeaways from the last couple of weeks, and what do you expect going forward? So I think one thing um, that I took away from the Italian Grand Prix was sort of how uniquely engineered the Mercedes car is. Mm-hmm. And I think it showed a lot that maybe they might not be the best at overtaking. I think Lewis Hamilton is very good at overtaking. I think Lewis Hamilton is a very, very skilled driver. Yeah. Um, but with Bottas, he kind of got boxed out of a place early on and just sort of couldn't really make any moves. And it's because that car as I learned this weekend, because I'm still a new fan to it, it's sort of engineered to always be in the front of the pack. Mm-hmm. And when it's not in the front of the pack, it doesn't have that uh, that speed on straightaways to sort of like pass and overtake easily. And I think, one, this weekend was a testament to Lewis Hamilton's skill because he was able to move from the back of the pack all the way into the points, despite his penalty and despite there not being much time left in the race. And two, I think it shows the gap between Bottas and Hamilton because they finished in pretty comparable positions, mm-hmm. even though one had a huge penalty and the other was just sort of like middling outside the points all race. And it's interesting to see how two drivers can drive a car so differently when all year they've been relatively comparable. Like Hamilton's always been better, but Bottas has always usually been on a podium or in points. And I think it showed maybe the limitations of the Mercedes car if you could call them that, because it's still the best car in all of Formula One. But yeah. I thought it was a really interesting thing to sort of dive into and look at. Yeah, I, I also did a little bit of research on it too as well. Yeah, it, it is crazy to think that the Mercedes isn't the fastest car in a straight line. I, I think it's the Renaults, actually, which is interesting. Or maybe the Red Bulls. But uh, the Mercedes car also apparently is not very good at cooling, uh, That's which is part of the reason why if it's behind cars in dirty air, it's it's not very good. Um yeah, so that's that's pretty interesting, and because especially at the start of the season, I was kind of thinking like, well, are we giving Bottas kind of like a, a short stick and like not giving him enough credit? But like, because most people don't think of him as the second best driver in Formula One, even though he is the second uh, constructor or driver standings. Um, so I was like, maybe we're not giving him enough credit, but also, yeah, this race shows that Lewis Hamilton is clearly in another tier, that's for sure. Um, another thing this race showed too, I thought was that the sport, the F1 rules are crazy complicated. Uh, even the fact that the announcers didn't first realize that Lewis Hamilton pitted while the pit lane was closed. Like the announcer was like, and Lewis Hamilton goes in the pits. And then later they were like, Oh, was the pit lane closed? You know, they didn't, they didn't even really know, uh, which I think was kind of interesting. Yeah. Same during the red flag. Go ahead. Like when I remember when. He came into pit. They're like, it's odd that science isn't pitting. Like, yeah. They, like, and I remember thinking, I'm like, yeah, that is weird. But yeah, I think, sorry, cut you off. But like, it is a testament to how complicated it is that, yeah. like, even the announcers like didn't catch the rules violation at first. Exactly. And then even during the red flag, they were like, we don't really know what kind of parts they can fix right now, or if they can change the wheels out. Which I, I believe eventually they settled on. You can change the wheels out. So that and Lando Norris was really mad about that. Because uh, cars in front of them, like the like Lance Stroll specifically, he was saying, got a free pit stop that wouldn't have happened in a, in the regular race. It even I think it basically hurt Lewis Hamilton a lot more too. 
uh, that they had to restart it. So it, the the rules were a little interesting. I, obviously, the red flag, it was more the penalty, but the red flag also just made the race interesting. Gasly would have been ahead, would have been in the at the front of the pack without the red flag anyway, because he had just pitted. But which is crazy, he went from 14th to, to like third on his pit stop because he he got there right when the yellow flag started. So that was fun. Um, well, and speaking of Gasly, like we haven't even brought it up, but yeah, I'm so happy for him. The whole Formula One world, I feel like, is so happy for him. Yeah, and he was able to get his first Grand Prix victory this weekend. Exactly. If there was if there was like one guy that you wanted to see get a victory, it, it's definitely Gasly for sure. Um, now Red Bull, Red Bull more and more just keeps looking like villains too, which is kind of funny, but I know it's a fun um, development too. And the fact that he's just like, I think this is his second podium since he's left Red Bull. It just looks like Red Bull also jumped yeah. the gun a little bit on letting him go. And not that Alex Alvin is an awful, but like right. Gasly has put in really, really quality performances since he left. Yeah. Yeah. I, they rushed Gasly for sure. I think. And, and yeah, if they would have just let him mature a little bit in that role, then yeah, who knows? <laughs> So that's that's kind of it sucks, but I yeah I think like we said a couple episodes ago, or at least I said, I don't think he'll be going back to Red Bull. I don't think he'll really want that either. I, I don't know if he would want that. He says he's ready to make the transition, but I don't know. I don't know if that's I wouldn't want to if I were him. Like yeah. he's doing better without them, and I know like Red Bull does Whoa. have the better car, but yeah. yeah, and I mean it probably would be a good career move. It just would be frustrating to have been in that situation, mm-hmm. and then you seem to be in some ways better off without them. Right. He could do like the Carlos Sainz route, basically, where he kind of he goes outside the Red Bull program because Re- Carlos Sainz was a Red Bull driver or a uh, Toro Rosso driver. So we'll see. We'll see about that. Um, speaking of Sainz, too, McLaren uh, proving that they're super inconsistent at being a top four car, but they're very consistent at being a top 10 car. They usually seem to finish in the points and they had a brilliant finish, obviously, at second and fourth. Um it, it, it was, yeah, because it's interesting because, like, some competitors like Renault and Racing Point seem to disappear out of certain races, and I feel like McLaren's always, always kind of there, um, edging, edging, like, kind of nudging the leaders in some ways. Um, so that was fun to see. Yeah, and I think it shows, too, like, there was a, like, after the first couple of races, it looked like they took a dip, but it's shown that, like, their dip isn't as deep of a dip as the other sort of uh, midfield side seems to have. Yeah. And they can recover back to a higher level. So I think, I know I had said a few weeks ago that Racing Point I thought would be third overall, but I think I'm going to re- revise that a little bit and look at McLaren because I do think yeah. their drivers are a little better. I think I was just sort of riding the hype of um, what was going on at the time with like Racing Point having a couple good results. And like they're still doing well. Like Stroll was got a podium position this weekend. But right. I think McLaren has shown that it has the most consistent car and also a car which has like the highest ceiling on a good day. Yeah, it does. It, especially just like uh, the ones where you have to be at really top speeds. Mm-hmm. Renault powered cars were doing really well. And then, you know, Mercedes didn't do well this race and neither did Perez at racing point. So I don't, it's not a coincidence. They're driving the same car basically. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And speaking of Perez, got some big news today that he's out. Yeah. Racing point after this year, Sebastian Vettel's taking over. Yeah, so I, I, I don't really know. First off, I think it's pretty unfair to Sergio Perez. He was under contract, I think, for another two years, or at least a year. Um, so that's really unfair. I mean, he said that like this decision definitely hurts because he he's stuck with the team through all their through their highs and lows, basically. So I think that really sucks for him. 
The the narrative though of Vettel being like a bad driver has kind of lessened since now Charles Leclerc is not really doing well in the Ferrari. So I I feel like this is like the right time to pick Vettel. It looks a lot better because it's like, well, it's not his fault. It's the Ferrari car. So I I don't know. I I don't really know if it is an upgrade. I don't think it's really an upgrade by much, to be honest, going from Vettel to Perez. I don't either. Um, It feels like another one of those moves where like, there's like a select number of like drivers that just get passed around, like that are passive prime. Like he's a Fernando Alonso or a Kimi Raikkonen, just sort Mm -hmm. of like bouncing between lower tier teams like at the end of his career and like i get it like these guys are proven drivers but it just feels like you're not investing in the future maybe as much as you should right exactly and then like in terms of where perez could go his options he also got screwed because this he's kind of getting he's getting uh booted out at the end of like the carousel of drivers so there's not really any seats open i i I mean theoretically haas and alpha uh not haas and alfa romeo might want him but i mean if i'm perez i don't i don't think he wants to go back to teams that aren't even scoring points when he's in like a racing point car that's fighting for the best of the the rest you know i i that's that sucks for him <laughs> yeah it does but i think at some point he's just gonna have to take a seat on one of those like lower teams and from everything i've been reading they think haas might be the better option for him so yeah. i can see him driving for them next year yeah that would be it that would be interesting if they had like because haas at least since I've been watching, they haven't had like a, a top tier driver yet. You know, mm-hmm. one of the one of the best at least. No, not trying to disrespect Grosjean and Magnussen too much, but Perez is better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> obviously. Um, and then speaking, going back to Vettel a little bit on Ferrari, I want to ask you this, Lucas. Uh, Lucas, do you think that Ferrari is going to improve next year? I mean, it's kind of hard to be worse than they've been for yeah. a team of that standard. For the last yeah. few races. So my gut says yes. I don't know if they'll have as much of a rebound as... Like, I don't think they'll be, like, competing at the top again like they had mm. been in the past few years. But, I don't know, Charles Leclerc is such a good driver. Science is such a good driver. And I hope, like, someone with Ferrari's history and capacity and resources could figure out the engineering issues that have been going on. So I think... There'll be a little bit of like reversion to the mean, a little bit of a correction, and I think they'll get better and improve a little bit. But I'm not super confident in saying that. Like the wheels seem to be kind of falling off at Ferrari, yeah. and I mean not to be like too bold, but like I'm a little bit worried they might go the way of Williams, who was like this dominant team, and then they just sort of like collapse into complete mediocrity, yeah. and then have to like completely redo everything. Like as you saw. Um, like pretty much in every race of the season, like Williams can never compete after being one of the dominant forces in the sport for years. So, yeah. I mean, it's a bit of an overreaction because it's one really bad year, but yeah, I don't know. They just don't seem to be able to get it together at all. I know it's, I would still bet. I agree. I would still bet. Yes. That they will improve. I, th- I think they definitely, I'm, I believe they definitely have way more money than Williams does. I know they get, oh, some, sure. they get better. Um, they get like a financial incentive just for being Ferrari basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't know. I think Italy was like particularly hit hard by COVID-19 this year. I, I, I would bet that has like a lot to do with some of their struggles. I didn't actually think of it. That's a really good point. I, I mean, cause they weren't good in preseason testing, but also they, they probably didn't have as much time to like w- get better with the car, even though you couldn't work in the factories. But I, I think across F- the FIA, across formula one, I, I would bet that's even that had some, I, I bet you had some part on it. And also, like with the, they kind of got hit with like the the fine and the technical directives in the off season, 
I think that was that probably like hindered their plans a little bit as well. So um, I would bet that they'll improve. Yeah, will they be challenging Mercedes next year? Probably not. Will they be challenging Red Bull next year? Maybe not either. But maybe like McLaren, yeah, challenging McLaren and Racing Point again. Yeah, mm, yeah. It feels like they could settle into like that competitive spot for the best of the rest. Where at this point they've just sort of like tanked out. And, like, yeah. They're behind Renault. They're behind Racing Point. They're behind McLaren, and it doesn't look like they're moving in the right direction at all to sort of climb back up in the standings. Okay. I got another question related to Ferrari. So Renault passed Ferrari this week with their with their results, and Alpha Tori is creeping up. They are uh, forty seven to is it sixty seven or sixty one? Yeah, I need to double. Forty seven to sixty. Uh, I don't know. I wrote it down twice. <laughs> <laughs> Let's double check that real quick. But Alpha Tori is coming up behind. Yeah, sixty one. So Alpha Tori has forty forty seven, and Ferrari has sixty one. Renault has 71 and Ferrari has 61. So do you think, first off, do you think Renault will keep its position ahead of Ferrari at the end of the season? And do you think AlphaTauri has a chance of passing Ferrari and the constructors? I think I'm going to go with tentative yes on Renault. The thing that like worries me a little bit about Renault, who was my like chosen midfield team, is that they don't seem to have like much of a ceiling. Like they can never really crack above. Yeah six seven on a good race like i know daniel ricardo i think finished p4 a few weeks back Mm -hmm. but that was a weird series of events but their car just doesn't seem to be that like consistently fast and of highness performance to put in the potential finishes that i know ferrari has and leclerc has gotten this season but that being said like the ferrari performances have been so bad lately (laughs) that i don't know if even like one or two good finishes from Leclerc could save them if there are no drivers keep putting in those like P5, P6, P7 finishes week after week after week. So I'm going to go tentative yes on Renault saying above Ferrari, but I think it'll be very, very close because I do think Leclerc is still a great driver and can put in at least one podium challenging finish this year. And as for AlphaTauri, I would love to see it happen. I think it'd be a fun story, especially, um, with Gasly and everything he's been doing this year, but I don't think so. I just can't see them consistently finishing that much higher above Ferrari for the rest of the time yeah. to sort of overtake them. Because like 14 points isn't a huge gap, but it's also not insignificant unless you're winning races or getting podiums. Yeah. And like as much as Gasly's win was cool and impressive this weekend, like that's not something I expect them to be doing for the rest right. of the season. Yeah, right. They got half their points in this race. <laughs> half yeah, the points that they have now in this race, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, I've been pretty fickle on this show so far in terms of F1 and like buying into hype. Like every week, I seem to go with the trend. I do think though, yeah, Renault will probably stay ahead of Ferrari. Originally, I was thinking McLaren and Ferrari would be fighting, and Racing Point would just take it, would just like go. But now yeah. it looks like it's just going to be McLaren Racing Point, really. Mm-hmm. Renault past Ferrari. Yeah, I don't know if I want to buy into the hype about AlphaTauri uh, passing Ferrari. Though they have been consistent. AlphaTauri yeah. has. So. Yeah, I agree. Finishing but in I think the points. But yeah. Like, consistently at the low end of the points. And I, yeah. and I can't imagine Ferrari is, like, going to get that many, like... Or is going to have that many more races this season where both of them finish outside the points. Like, I think yeah. Leclerc, on a good week, is, like, at least challenging for the points. Yeah. So. We'll see. No, that's, that's for sure. 
Great. Okay, our last segment. We're going to talk about reverse grid qualifying. Um, obviously, this race was kind of a uh, exhibition for reverse grid, gr- reverse grid qualifying as we had Hamilton in the back trying to fight. It basically, yeah, Hamilton was dead last trying to fight his way uh, to, up to the front. And for those of you that don't know, reverse grid qualifying is basically a shorter race on Saturday where whoever is first in the constructors starts in the last two spots. Whoever's last in the constructors starts in the front, and it's um, going to be it'll be or- organized in that way. And then that will de- that will decide the starting grid for Sunday's real race, basically. Um, my thoughts on it is we should do it for sure. Uh, Lewis Hamilton proved that even if he starts last, he'll make up a bunch of places. I mean, he finished seventh, right? So probably he would just end up winning the Sunday race anyway, but we'd, we'd have a more exciting journey getting there. So I definitely think we should do it. Yeah, I mean, I'm in agreement. And I know Hamilton and Vettel and other guys have spoken out against it. Mm-hmm. One reason I do sort of support in that it's – a lot more detrimental to the health of the drivers to be put under that many G's during the weekend. So that again, mm-hmm. then the other like purity of the sport argument, I think is kind of BS if we're being <laughs> honest, like maybe it's the American sports fan in me, but I'd rather yeah. see something competitive and exciting than like have a sport be based purely on like engineering. Cause mm-hmm. then like to some extent then the race day, it matters cause things can obviously go wrong as you saw at Monza this past weekend. But like, I can walk into a race or, like, turn on a race on TV and know that, like, unless something dramatic happens, we're going to get that, as, like, as Reddit Formula 1 calls the the Hambotver podium of <laughs> Hamilton, Bottas, Verstappen. Like, yeah. Verstappen. Every single weekend. Like, unless something goes wrong, those three guys are going to finish on the podium. And, like, I mean, good for the Mercedes engineers, you know? But I'd rather see something competitive, exciting. And, like you said, like, in like the space of 20 laps, Lewis Hamilton went from the back of the pack up to P7 to finish the race. Like imagine if he had a whole race, he could compete. Mm-hmm. I think it adds a level of excitement, unpredictability to the sport because I think too often, like Hamilton just gets to the front and cruises. Like yeah. I saw an interview with him. I forget which Grand Prix it was. It was one maybe three or four weeks ago, but he said he had like, so like just like zoned out during the race. And when he crossed the finish line, like he didn't even know he crossed the finish line to win. Right. Yeah. So, and as cool as it is that like, he's a great driver and Mercedes has engineered this like perfect car. I don't want a sport where somebody can zone out and not even realize they've won. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. That is a definitely good point. And I I think it's kind of like, it it just comes back to like professional sports are the rules are designed to be fun to watch, not fun mm-hmm. for them, not fun for the players to be honest. It's designed to be fun for the audience to watch, mm-hmm. and uh, of course they want it to be as fair as possible. But fun outweighs uh, entertainment value outweighs fair in in, in televised sports. Uh, this is kind of how it goes, and I get in Formula One like how much weight we should be praising that Mercedes Mercedes's engineers are just that much better. It's a team sport technically that their Mercedes engineers are just that much better than everyone else within the rules. Um, but sports are designed to be fun to watch, <laughs> not not fun for the the, com- the competitors, really, professional yeah, sports. Yeah, and, and I think the word fair is interesting there, too, because in some ways it's fair because, like, everybody's designing their car and they do their own thing, and it's fair in that way. But it's somewhat unfair to the drivers themselves, and I realize it's a mm. team sport and a large part of the team is the engineers. But, like, 
Latifi and Russell could be the two best drivers in Formula One, and we'd never know right. because they're in the two slowest cars. And, like, it's probably not true. I think if you put Hamilton in a slower car, he's still competitive and one of the best drivers of all time. But you don't know because in that way, the playing field is so not level. And it's frustrating as a sports fan that the that the competition itself is something that takes place entirely behind closed doors. Like the yeah, engineering process is the most competitive part, which is like cool, but I don't know, maybe they should like go to a science fair. <laughs> like <laughs> like oh, nice. I feel like if you're looking for like like pristine engineering and I feel like I feel like this will get me in trouble with Formula One people. But like <laughs> I feel like I want to see a competitive race day and the best way to do that is something like reverse grid qualifying where like the engineering still matters like mercedes mm-hmm. still is a fast enough car that they can get to the front of the pack but it's like the skill of the driver also matters like with mercedes this weekend hamilton yeah. was clearly better in that car than Bottas, and they got almost the same place despite two wildly different races mm-hmm. yeah those are good points i didn't think about how it, is it fair to the driver that the cars are so uh, outmatched um so, Formula One fans, let us know. Are you mad at that take, uh, or do you just completely agree with us? Uh, let us know in the comments if you're watching this on YouTube. Please subscribe and hit the bell if you're watching on YouTube, as well as subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud, wherever you listen to the full podcast. We really appreciate you listening and engaging, and we hope to talk to you guys soon.